What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dogs Basketball Podcast, recapping the split against the Belmont Bruins in a game where the Dogs honestly didn't belong on the same court at times. I'm Nick Malone, joined by Noah Lurch. And Noah, this was the first game in a while of the stretch we've continuously talked about, about, you know, the, the margin of, you know, loss or victory was around 24. This game was well above that, almost around half of what the previous however many games were. This was definitely one that we're disappointed in because of the dogs' performance. And, you know, we had some confidence going into this game, and, of course, it is what it is, and it's led them to now fully facing adversity in terms of going to 0-2, which we kind of wanted them to avoid now that we're literally down the full stretch of the Valley season. What's going on? Yeah, it was a big key to not go 0-2 this week, and if you really wanted to fight for that fourth and final bye for Arch Madness and you didn't you go on the road where um, I usually don't have good feelings going on the road, but I, I had a good feeling with this matchup. I thought we matched up well with this team and I feel like when the moments have gotten bigger and we've had bigger games where stadiums on the line, this team just, I mean, shrivels up and has turnovers, breakdowns defensively, not staying connective as a team. And when it, when it comes times, their lack of shot making ability um, shows big time. Yeah, I, I truly think this game is the one that put me over the edge of like frustration in terms of everything we've known about this team this year. And your best player, you know, didn't show up uh, in a lot of facets and just everything again that we've said with this team it's the timing of the turnovers, it's the lack of consistency in a game, the lack to be able to play. 35 minutes let alone you know 12 minutes it seems like like of those the times where they do play full basketball and there were moments of this game where it was and it was like okay that's this team but they can't sustain it then the last one the way they play isn't sustainable but they can't even sustain playing like all around basketball complimentary basketball on both sides of the ball and we'll touch on you know obviously the game we got coming up tomorrow we play the best offense. We're known as one of the best defensive teams. And, you know, we'll touch on the fact that, you know, truthfully to me, I think our defense is overrated. And we've talked about that off air a little bit and the numbers can back up some things, but I feel like factoring into the overrated is the inconsistency. And that's what this defense has shown. We'll talk about uh, the lone positives of this game. Of course, the negatives, because this team continues to, you know, upset us in a way where we honestly don't know where they're headed from this point on to where it stands. Talk about a lot of things there. Uh, we'll dive in the net because that's something huge when we get around the Valley and we talk about, you know, obviously the net itself or the standings and what, even what the bracket looks like. Maybe that net is a huge tie breaking option as we already knew, but it was official because a lot of people were, you know, have been talking about it. Luke Martin has been, com- you know, confirming it lately of what the league does with that. So obviously that's something we can hold our hat on the rest of the way. We'll talk about a lot of different things. There's an important Valley player that unofficially was alluding to the fact that he could be back, be back next season. And we'll talk about uh, perhaps a new interest that we're not official on. We'll just dive into it. Something that came to our attention today. And then we'll talk about the Sycamores at the end and stay tuned for a stat that Noah's going to have of Brian's record versus upper half teams versus lower half teams because that needs to be told now that we're playing the best of the best tomorrow night. Um, one of the only positives of this game, of course, is solidifying also that X is officially now the all-time single-season assist 
record holder, which again continues to be insane with the scoring that he's done. He officially passed Brian. Uh, you know, I think he only had four assists in this game. He his streak of five broke. And again, if you're putting up these numbers, it's it's you know, it makes sense to say that oh, this is your only game below five assists all season. He's been putting this team on his back. We'll get to X. Again, did not have the best game. And no, that was because of Jacoby Gillespie was back and healthy. He was incredible in this game. I'll just start with the positives of this game. No, I thought our ball movement was good at times. Uh, really like a like around the arc passing stuff we've been seeing, but it was like some of the timing of the passes that led to points was really impressive. Uh, you know, I can't think of overall specific ones, but it's something that obviously catches your eye. And, you know, of course that at some point in this game kept us in it. You know, the fact that we were able to match them at times because start of the game, I think our defense was fine on them, made them force tough shots. We'll get to one of their best players had a horrid game. Um, and then our transition offense, I think was, was really good in this one, so much so that one of their assistants, uh, Casey's assistants, talked on the, on the TV at halftime and said, you know, they're not really a team that thrives in transition or does any of it. We allowed them to have eight at that point. So I was clearly an emphasis in the second half, what they prevented. Uh, I thought those were good. Uh, and no, there's negatives in front of you if you want to dive into those, because I'm, I'm sure you agree it's not hard to scope out when things aren't good throughout a game, but also your, your initial thoughts of the game and uh, again, I think we played good defense on them at first, and it was back and forth. There were a lot of lean changes until they just pulled away. But like you said the negatives of this game and anything else that stuck out to you, you know, I guess near halftime, because there was a big swing of something that happened at the end of the first half that uh, catapulted them in the second. Yeah, I thought that in the first half, uh, I would agree that the movement was there and they were trying to right away um, get clearance and. Clarence and Trent with a steal really start the game. Thought we thought thought we had one of our better starts. Um, looked pretty good. Thought we were ready to play from the get go. And obviously, um, some things down the stretch of too many turnovers down down the stretch in that first half uh, really got us. And like I said earlier, only ended up with eleven turnovers in the game. But we shooting again three of thirteen in that first half for twenty. 23%. Um, not going to get it done. This team has decided to live by the three, and they're dying by it a lot of the times because they just, like I said earlier, the lack of shot making down the stretch um, in this game or in this first half as well. But I thought, for the most part, they looked pretty good. But in that, obviously, in that, that initial play you're talking about was uh, we had – Trent Trent got a late shot off at the end of the end of a shot clock where we were going for one shot and he it was a two they reviewed it so they they got a basically a free timeout to draw something up and they just they launched one to D at half court which is a really smart play and it was the college version of advancing the ball like the NBA does at timeouts and they drew something up and Keyshawn Davidson um, somehow he did what he did with the spin move and the, the, the fade away in that 1.4 second range. I thought there's no way he could do that kind of motion and get the shot off, but he did somehow they reviewed it and everything and it was good. So got them a little bit momentum going into half being up six instead of three, um, just like that. So for the most part, I thought we were in a decent spot going into the halftime. You're right there. Um, with only with, 
poor shooting. So you're right there with a team that Gillespie was getting what he wanted and a guy that killed us in the first game and Malik Dia, we, we held him in check for the most part. Yeah, I'd say a career worse for him. There's no doubt about that. He was missing, you know, they love to thrive on they were really good in the pick and roll. It was tough, it was tough to stop Rogers. At one point, uh, Brigham Rogers, he had seven first step points. It was the second most on the team to, at that point. And, you know, he ended up uh, not scoring in the second half, so they took it away, but they also didn't play him. I mean, of course, this game got to the point where you played garbage time guys. Um, you know, thriving in that with him, but also thriving in the – I say thriving. They were able to almost execute the pick and pop with Malik D. He was not hitting his threes. He wasn't really doing well on the defensive end either. He was allowing Clarence to do pretty much what he wanted, uh, which Clarence, of course, had another awesome game, rebounded well. Um, yeah, overall, I just think it boiled down to not being able to guard Gillespie. I mean, he was he was borderline shooting perfect from the field. Couldn't stop him, of course. You know, it's mentioning, again, the, the previous matchup. If they had Casey and Jacoby was playing at his best, of course he was playing with it hurt. And as you said, and what they said before this game earlier in the week that he was playing hurt and he was lying to them about the severity of it. And he looked like an all-league player. He looked like potentially a first-team kind of player. And it stinks for him that he missed so much of the season because he would be on one of those teams. And it solidifies them having the best big three in the league, which we already knew that before that. But what he can do defensively and – what he did on X was special. And, you know, of course, going to this game, you know, we were joking before they were posting pictures that X, you know, had a new look. He was wearing a headband. It's like, oh, that's a new level for him. And, you know, just what you could expect. We knew Gillespie was elite defensively. I think there was a, you know, he still leads, but clearly the games aren't there for him. He, he was averaging almost three steals a game, I think, around the time before he got hurt. And, you know, he's just that kind of player. I mean, he, he only had one in this game, but he was – Doing everything against X, that makes it hard. And remember saying on the first time, it's hard for X to go left. You know, he was forcing him right, chucking up shots. But he wasn't really looking for a shot at first. X wasn't at the start of the game, making other guys beat you. And again, that's where the back and forth came into play. But you said it there with the, with the shooting statistics. We weren't really putting, you know, giving ourselves any, you know, favors shooting as bad as we were. And that final instance that you said also was, um, you know, it's hard to be mad at Davidson's shot whenever Trent did the almost the exact same thing. And Casey didn't even react. He immediately was like pointing at the ground that he point that he stepped on the three point line before it honestly almost went in. Like didn't even react and then he make it like, oh, that's BS. He literally was pointing. And of course, that is what they did with the two. And then, yeah, I mean, it's a thing that we wish we would do. And we had three timeouts and didn't use them on that final possession right there when Trent's uh Flopped it up and then, you know, barely two seconds, get, you know, one pass, Malik D a half court timeout. And then they actually get the opportunity. And someone, uh, you know, said on Twitter to us when we did our final post or halftime post about they, we had fouls to give too. So it's just, it's a cat and mouse game that we know Brian lacks a lot. And how you just, you know, not only do you not do these things yourself, use the timeouts if they're there, but also just, defensively what you're prepared for i mean it's it's those it's guarding the inbounds pass when they have the ball underneath their basket they scored with ease it was again defensively we can guard a three-point line as well as we want to but if malik dia was making his threes like he usually does they would have beat us by 25 or more i mean obviously with the with the amount that that is and he got a, a lot of great looks he had he shot six threes oh for three so if he hits half of those, which he honestly should have, 
the game is even bigger than it was. And, um, you know, Kay Tyson, he was, you know, he had 16 in this game. He got to a point where when he did shoot, he didn't miss a whole lot. He was six of 11. He was kind of hit, hit, you know, his steady self, I guess, even though historically we were good against him. And, um, like you said there, like the momentum that got them that lead at halftime, a six point lead. I'm thinking that's reasonable. It's not bad. You're on the road at a tough place. Clearly it should be a little bit more different. You know, the score is, well, I guess one point different if those heaves don't happen. So you're in a decent spot, but you know, and I guess we were going back and forth with them again and they went on like an 11 to two run. Next thing you know, they're up 18 and no, I just, you know, as he said, you know, off the top that some of the negatives of this game, not only could you not stop Gillespie, uh, but all, overall the second half clearly was not good. Shooting-wise, but defensive-wise, I mentioned some of the breakdowns. I thought the the help defense and the was awful. We are an awful help defensive team. That's what I said when Gillespie would – Gillespie would find himself wide open for a lane to the rim for a layup. Nothing. And we've said before, you know, this team lacks setting charges, whether it's the rule itself. I would love to ask Brian if they just haven't – done it as much if this team just doesn't do it or you the rule change has made it to where you don't but Clarence had some plays and kudos to him for he took a ball coast to coast was going behind the back between the legs on Malik Dia and found himself to the rim he made it but Kate Tyson was there to set the charge so they're doing it it's just we don't do it and no I mean we talked about this earlier and I appreciate Clarence's aggressiveness because it's like who the heck else is going to if it's not Trent aggressively shooting threes which he was a big reason why we were in this game for that reason alone. He was awesome. But Clarence, at least, isn't scared to dribble the ball up, and he's not scared to do something that's not the same old robotic half-court offense that we honestly would turn it over anyway or something like that, and that's what he did with the charge. But, no, I think we can appreciate that from Clarence. He continues to play really well. Maybe a little bit of hero ball. We were texting and saying that. Like, maybe that doesn't need to happen, but it's – the alternative, Noah, is that half-court offense, which leads to nothing. What else – uh, happened in this game that either you liked a little bit or obviously frustrated you. Yeah, I just thought down in that second half, our offense did get a little stagnant. So that's where Clarence tried to be a little aggressive. You saw Kennard taking some ill-advised early, early threes in the offense. You usually see him don't. So I think they were trying to, if they got a good look, they were just letting it fly. Um, uh, Choi shot the ball decently well, but it didn't really matter in that second half. Him and Trent kind of. Um, I thought this is just one of, especially defensively, one of X's worst games. I just felt like down the stretch, I mean, I think the broadcast talked about it a little bit too. I think after every every timeout, their execution of their offense, they got what they wanted and they scored almost after every timeout. So just feel like, their sets and stuff like that offensively with Casey are just light years ahead of what we do. And in the end, I mean, we made two extra threes in that second half, but five of 19. I mean, I was a lot of people I talked to when we watch the team we play tomorrow night, and we'll, we'll talk about them. Um, they jack up mid 33s, mid 30s threes a game. We're just like, good Lord, they're checking it up there. Well, we we attempted 32 and only hitting eight of them, shooting 25% is not going to win you very many ball games. Living living and dying like that, so yeah, just not connective defensively. You talked about the help defense, but uh, positives. I mean, rebounding out rebounding them by four. Um, Clarence 
Clarence, big part of that. Jarrett was really good rebounding. So was AJ. Troy had seven. So we did that well. Um, I think that Malik playing a lot of outside helps out on the defensive end. He doesn't want to get so many offensive rebounds, but we got we got nine more shots, nine more shot attempts than them. Um, we just you just gotta knock down. I talked about earlier the shot making for this team has not been there for five seasons under Brian, and I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Yeah, and it's the timing, it's the clutch, it's the non-clutch defense. Honestly, like there have clearly been games where it has, and it's not all recency bias of, you know, these past couple games, it's been this way. But for this, we're not talking about in years past, you know, and, and the scope of that. We're talking about this team and the fact that the lack of clutch offensively and the lack of clutch defensively, notably at the end of the Drake game, you needed one stop and you could have had that monster upset and you couldn't do it, whether there's the refs holding it against you or not. Either way, you know, we can brag about – people can brag about the defense all they want, but it, it boils down to being able to get those surefire stops and make the plays overall in a game that they definitely do lack. And that's something we'll talk about, you know, by the end of this season going forward is just philosophically things need to change. And um, obviously it, it's it's as easy to say offensively, defensively. Cut down on your cutthroat defense – Work on your offense, but if, if year after year it's continuous, if it's one player, it's two players to rely on, then clearly you're not going to win that way. And X played 40 minutes. He's wearing down. Gillespie's a great defender, but X just wasn't himself in this game. And, you know, we, we didn't talk about in the last one, but before the Illinois State game, after Drake, him and Brendan Mullins went because he had a uh, – a grandparent, I believe, passed away. So they he went and flown to take, you know, to, you know, uh, take care of that and then came back for that game. And now this. So not only is the load he's carrying on the court, he's dealing with things off the court. It's just, again, you, you just, but he can't do it by himself. And that seems like what he's had to do in this game. Cause you mentioned there the shooting, five of 19. We really have just two, like Troy has shot it well this season from three. But X and Trent are really the only good shooters. I mean, AJ, 0 of 2. We mentioned Kennard not making much. He think Kennard thinks he's a shooter. By the, by the end of his career, he'll know that, well, the threes will come, but I need to be an athletic freak and drive to the rim, draw fouls, and be that kind of player. He'll learn that over the course of time. But, you know, other guys that, you know, could play and be threats don't play. That's RJ McGee, who weirdly played, and I don't even recall off the top of my head if it was foul trouble as to why he came in, but plays at UIC, does something good. I, he might have not dressed the next game, and then he just hasn't played until he'll finally come into this game, of course. That's the guy that can shoot, because I went back and watched his transfer tape just to remind myself what he can do. It's It was really good what he could do, and that was at the American level. And whether it's injuries, opportunity, it's clear as day, it's a lot of everything. I doubt it's injury. It's got to be just – opportunity and the lack of that but it's just you have that you know overall but it just you don't have the consistency and I mentioned the timing isn't there on both sides uh but as you said there we out-rebounded them somehow out-rebounded them did have more turnovers but you know they barely had any more paint like again it's stats every single game we say if I told you this you would think we won right no we lost by 14 points it's like it just that's what this team cannot get away from is 
you know, whether the stats are kind of in your favor or not, you do something that just ends up boiling down to you not being able to finish a game and you let them just take over in that second half. And then they just didn't look back. And of course the commentators, whoever were talking that they think they were going to storm back. The main account on X was posting about you know, a quote that the broadcast said, and it's like, this game's over, like, stop it. So it, it stinks again because it's always the thing of would you rather still lose by less than like five or lose by three, for example, or lose by 14 and honestly not have a chance at some points in the game. Like it's really hard to decipher which one you'd always rather be heartbreak or like you just never had a chance. It really is tough. But again, this team puts himself in a bad spot. Now you're you're staring 0-2 in the face and we'll dive into the sycamores as to why we're staring 0-2 in the face. They needed to make a statement on the road here, and the dogs could not do it. They're back to their to their weird ways. I guess that's all you can just call it is the weird ass ways. Um, no, overall, I think like I said, Trent saved us in this game. You saw Sheridan Sharp come in play garbage time. Awesome, right? Oh yeah, it's great for a freshman like that to come in and get garbage time. That's going to help him at the you know later on. Don't think so when he's getting thirty seconds. That frustrated me at the end as well. It took Brian ten minutes to get to the post game. And he didn't address what he told the team that needed to be addressed. Shame on the broadcast for the radio broadcast for not telling about it. A lot of things to get fed up with Noah. But if you have final thoughts on it, you can say it. If not, we can dive into what happened around the league is clearly a more notable one, and it involves the team we play tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say about it. I mean, it's pretty disappointing of when the lights get bright and you have a big time game, like I said, and seeding implications could be on the line on the down the way here that you don't you don't come out and out of that second half and play like you should so it's definitely disappointing and yeah I mean we're never going to get anything out of Brian Mullins like I'm about to talk about with uh, coach Schertz here about him talking about his team after Illinois State after we beat us sweeping them they go on the road and defeat the Indiana State the number 23 ranked Indiana State Sycamores, 80 to 67 behind Johnny Kinzinger, a freshman that scored a career high 31 points. He was 10 of 12 from the field. Um, he doubled his previous career best of 14. Miles Foster had 19 points, 12 rebounds. Um, so they stop a three game skid. Um, they that's their first, they won for the, just the fourth time since December 21st. And they just came into that. Johnny said after the game, they he walked into the arena and shooting around and said, "I love this arena. It's a shooter's arena." And man, was was he right? I mean, he was making everything. They could not guard him. Miles Foster was a big part of um, Robbie Avila's worst, one of his worst games. Um, I mentioned what Josh Shirt said after the game. He said, "We played like an entitled soft team today. Entitled soft teams get beat, and we got thoroughly manhandled." I wish our coach would come out and say stuff like that and call his players out because you know what they're going to do. We'll talk about it later, but they're going to come out tomorrow night and they're going to, they're going to show him um, that they can be more aggressive and play like the team. They're going to be down the stretch here. There was a big moment in this game where Jason Kent, he gets, it was kind of weird. He got hit in the kind of kicked in the head kind of when he dove on the floor um, and he, and he's, being reevaluated for a concussion. Don't exactly know if he'll, he should probably be ready to go. Um, so then the other game on Tuesday night, Drake goes on the road um, and wins 78, 75 behind an Anton Wright game winner um, where Ben Hummerkaus comes down, hits a 
tough three step back, hand in his face um, to tie the game. Then they get they just get the ball right right away in the end right. Like they've prepared so many times for this moment. And Enright gets to half. He finds Anton like he's standing there like he's supposed to. And he gets a he gets a three off and banks it in for the win. So Anton Wright led the way twenty six points. Hummer Krause had eighteen. Drake I mean that was two two incredible I mean that first game wasn't great, but I mean Evansville's been some of the most incredible games all year long, playing tight ones. Um, then on Wednesday night, UIC goes on the road and loses at Bradley, 85-73. Darius Hanna, 21 points in the win for that one. Also, Malavai Leones had 18 points, had four of seven from the field, three of three for one of three from the three-point range, but he was nine of nine from the free throw line. Duke Dean played well in that one, but for the Flames, Isaiah Rivera, pretty much. On he's trying to push for a maybe a third team all conference, but he's definitely on all newcomer. Twenty seven points. Christian Jones had fourteen. So UIC um, loses again, but they're still playing everybody pretty close. That got away from him at the end a little bit. Murray Missouri State goes on the road at Murray State. Murray State tough place to play. Nick Ellington leads the way for a win of eighty two seventy two. Nick Ellington had twenty three points. Matthew Lee. Had 22 for the Bears in that game. Um, they're still without Brian Moore for the Racers. That's interesting. Then it was weird. You didn't. Donovan Clay and Mayo did not start, and Clay only played 14 minutes. Mayo ended up playing 30. So, kind of a weird. Austin Mason, two of 11, terrible game for him. Um, then the final game of that night, you and I goes on the road and takes care of business like they're supposed to. 86-67. And to beat Valpo, Titan Anderson, 20 points, one of his best games of the year for him. Jacob Hudson had 19, so the post players really taking advantage of those guys. Landon Wolf had 16 off the bench. That's his best outing of the year. Stafford had 21, not surprised. Diavaro, 11 points, 10 assists in that one. Um, Jahari Williamson, 12 points off the bench for Valpo. So um, looking ahead to this weekend, um, two games only two games tomorrow. We got one o'clock. You got Valpo on the road in Springfield to take on the Bears. Bears favored by 12. Then on Sunday, Murray State on the road at Drake. Obviously, you got to root for Drake in that one for Murray to get shifted down. In case we don't win, Belmont on the road at UIC. That's a tough place to play. Belmont's not the same team on the road like they are at home. Bradley on the road at UNI. That's a really good game on ESPN2 at 1 o'clock on Sunday. Then Evansville at Illinois State. So four games on Sunday. It's, we're starting to see more Sunday games, I think, down the stretch here because I know we got a couple as well. Yeah, there'll be some fun ones. There's some notable ones for us for sure. Notably the one with Evansville, which you said there, that Drake game, is the first loss with Ben Humberkhouse at home in the uh, – you know, at Ford Center. So incredible game. And Drake finds a way, you're right, has a design play and gets lucky and does it. And they're talking about how, you know, Drake was barely on the court. They were like, oh, there might be a technical leading up to whatever. Uh, but that was an incredible game. Probably, yes, the game of the weekend. And then we were, you know, because we ended up at the Drake concert on Tuesday night in St. Louis. So we were keeping up with Illinois State and Indiana State, and we just couldn't believe it. And that was before, I guess, fully knew that Jason Kent wasn't playing, thought he was, and it was just like that. But it's proven 
And it's not that we're going to show it tomorrow. If you're a paint team, and Illinois State for sure is that, you can beat Indiana State. And it's crazy with, uh, you know, with Julian Larry and the defense that they have that they let, you know, Kinziger go in there as a freshman and drop 30 points. Uh, crazy. And we'll talk about what they stand as an at-large if they don't win the tournament. It definitely took a hit with this because Illinois State's ranked in like 200s in net. You did it at home and you lost by double digits. They might obviously look at it and say you didn't have one of your best players down the stretch. Either which way, you need to play a little closer, I think, than 13. That was crazy. And then the other games, as you said, uh, yeah, the – I mean, Murray won't have Brian Moore. That's interesting. We'll see, you know, if he continues to not play once they, you know, play us you know, next week, interestingly enough. And then, yeah, it's weird how there's only two Saturday games. But we'll be rooting for a lot of teams. We'll root for Valpo on the road, even though Missouri State's a little further. But we'll root for anybody that's obviously with us or behind us. Definitely Bradley on the road. Definitely Drake at home against Murray. And thinking UIC could pull that devil magic at home and try to help us out with Belmont. Even Illinois State potentially. I know them and Evans were close, but just we'll be we'll be scoreboard watching. Be watching a lot of those games on Sunday, and the um, the standings themselves, of course. Drake's right behind Indiana State now, 13 and 2, 12 and 3. No more slip ups for the Sycamores because obviously they have the tiebreaker and the advantage we'll get to shortly. Bradley, 10 and 5. Us, Northern Iowa, Belmont, and Murray, all 8 and 7. A two game gap with Evansville, Missouri State, and Illinois State at 6 and 9, UIC 3 and 12, Valpo at 2 and 13. And uh, that was a thing recently. Uh, obviously, the probabilities come out. We still have the best chance for fourth, crazily enough, with the, the, the schedule we have the rest of the way. But as we know, net is the next tiebreaker with team. That's why it's important to you – know, obviously, if you sweep Murray, it's one thing. But clearly, going one-on-one, you do not need to do that. You need to sweep them. Split with you and I when you face them down the stretch. Obviously, you have the split with Belmont. We tweeted about the tiebreaker at the end of the game. And it's knowing, of course, down the road, like, Drake swept us. They beat Drake. That matters. And then, obviously, net. We're still ahead of all of them in net right now, which is the only thing we can hold our hat on for some of these – and if that's how the league is going to do it, that can definitely be in our favor. But, of course, you need to obviously win some of these games, and we've narrowed it down to the other teams around us need to go two and three in their final five games, and we clearly need to go three and two. That's not like a hot take or anything. That's obvious. You need to finish with better records than the others. But that's before. If you go the same as some others, that's when the tiebreaker comes into account. So a lot of things to factor in with that. Um, tons of it, actually. So we'll be keeping an eye on more of those. As time goes on, um, Noah, talk about now the small recruiting uh, thing, which we'll just touch on this because, of course, uh, nothing's official. We we kind of try to take uh, you know into account who follows who on Twitter and who uh, you know not always, but it's like we know that's always kind of a thing. And if coaches don't follow this kid, blah blah blah. But when our school is talked about in a certain thing, and again, no one really wants to specify on, on the school of Southern Illinois. But this is an interesting guy, and someone we you know we haven't dug too deep into. But he's just another one to add to uh, you know this list that seems to be growing all of a sudden with a lot of different years. So be it. Uh, but this is one that caught our eye just earlier. Yeah, he's a six-seven guard for class of twenty twenty-four. His name's Jamil Miller. He's at a Combine Academy um, down in North Carolina. He's originally from Spokane, Washington, but um, has a scholarship offer from South Carolina State, along with it says interest from Gonzaga, Idaho, Oregon State, Seattle U, and Southern Illinois and Weber State and other teams um, like Eastern Washington and Central Michigan guys like that. Also, according to Jake Lieberman, also 
so that's just when we see Southern Illinois, we thought we mentioned it. We're not exactly sure. So um, we didn't retweet it on our timeline or anything because nobody of our coaching staff follows them. So it could be that's why SOUE should be SOUE to everybody. Yeah, we weren't going to retweet it. And there's a lot still more to touch up, knowing that for sure, SAUE, leave it as such, post it as such, say it as such. Sister school it is. So I'm I'm leaning that this is for us. But again, the followership isn't always the end all be all. But, you know, obviously a, a nice player that adds to the other group of nice players that we've seen here, not only in this upcoming class, but whatever, uh, knowing that they're, of course, still trying their their best it's just they're late to the party and a lot of these guys it should have been happening a long time ago as we know so that's that we'll keep an eye out for him and other things around forgot this on the valley part it was really small um but there was a post uh made from an interview from darius hannah recently and of course his head coach in the background because somebody acknowledged you know you got one year of eligibility left after this and what did Worrell say? He yelled, he's coming back or something. And Darius said, heck, you know, he said something of like, yeah, back to him. So unofficial, but he said it. Uh, just knowing, obviously, good players are on the league returning. Uh, and that's one of the uh, however many. Uh, they can have a, a, a talent like that stick around. We'll see if that comes to fruition. But, um, Noah, let's talk about the Sycamores. And not only do they, again, they had – a brutal loss. They really did. They weren't at their full strength. Retweeted not too long ago. Hunter Tickle had a post about the update of Jason Kent. He said he's still questionable with that hand injury, according to shirts. Said that Bletson, of course, will see minutes, even if Kent suits up. And he went back to the time when Robbie in the first two games of the season was questionable with an injury. He ended up missing both. And he recalled a swope uh, recent one as well. Missed uh, his comeback with USI. With a question of injury status, so Kent might not play. And, of course, you don't mess with head injuries. There's no doubt he doesn't even need to play to know the confidence of how we know we – or lack of confidence for us. Again, they don't – you know, especially with how you said the shirts talked about them, they definitely don't need any more motivation going into this game. Even if they don't have Kent Noah, they will still find a way with that limited bench as well. Uh, obviously, we remember the game that happened last time. You can mention it again, and we'll dive into – uh, everything about this all-world team that has done wonders for the league from the national scope. Yeah, and obviously it's going to be the first time in a long time we've had, even though they lost the other night, a ranked team come into the arena, and that's obviously big time. And having teams like this come into the arena, then obviously doing a lot of promotions um, for it. Obviously the big ones is uh, – the return, the coming home, the homecoming of Ryan Neal and Jeremy Chin. Um, the first 500 fans will receive um, a poster, and they will be signing autographs from 5 to 5.30 in the Charles Helene Pavilion. So that's obviously big time. And it's better call Saul Night with a guest video appearance from Saluki alum Bob Odenkirk. Fans that can get $10 tickets by using code Saul. Um, on that, then it's Galentine's Day. The first 500 women will receive a free drink voucher courtesy of the city of Carbondale. So that's another one. Then fans can bring a canned or non-perishable food item on game day to the SIU ticket office to receive a discounted lower bowl corner chair back seat for just $10. So there's always a lot of things going on. And obviously with a, a ranked team coming into the arena, it's big time. Obviously, um, for those that won't make it to the game, you get to listen 
It's available on ESPN Plus. Get to listen to Harry Schroeder by with the play-by-play, then Diane Muller um, with the analyst action. So those are two guys that two best in the conference, obviously, that you can stay home and listen to. So it's a long. The last time we defeated a ranked team was 2013, and that was number 22 Wichita. We beat them 64-62. Um, it's the first time we hosted a ranked team since 2018 when. Uh, Buffalo came to town when we did that home and home and we should have won that game as well. So just a fresh reminder what happened last time when we went up there to Terre Haute, they beat us 77 48. Um, it was 18 point game at halftime. It was over at halftime. They played up. That's the, if you look at their starters, it's season low in minutes because all those guys play 35 plus a nine almost. So um, it was not a good game. Too many turnovers in that game, obviously, um, and that's even, if you remember, Clarence Rupert got Robbie in foul trouble and it still didn't matter, um, playing on the road in that environment up there. Um, and that's not even when they were selling out their crowds yet. So going to need, um, a big time outcome with our fans. I think a lot of people will want to, even though they lost the other night, will want to come and see, um, Indiana state play. So it's going to be a big matchup just diving into, Obviously, without Kent, who could step up for them? Um, you could see Aaron Gray. He's a Niagara transfer, hasn't played very much. Obviously, Jake Wolf, a guy we were in on for Moorhead State, will step up. Um, some other guys that Mason Miller might play a little bit more off the bench in that case. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back. Both teams got to have big bounce bats game. So if I were to put a spread – spread on this game i would probably say it'd be will be eight and a half nine point underdogs against a team like this um obviously i think it could be less but that's where i would set it at there is not one out yet for our game so there's two teams that looking for bounce back games and hopefully it's a good one yeah i just can't really believe you know, the fact that their confidence will not waver. Like I said, whatever the coach called them out, <clears throat> excuse me, it really does not matter. They'll have, because we recall the game, which again, going back to, you know, clearly we didn't have AJ, we didn't have Jarrett. We don't lose by 29 if those guys play. We still lose, but it's not as bad. Now you do have them, but they not, might not have Kent. He is one of the biggest X factors in the entire league. It is true. If X wasn't going to get unanimous, most improved player, Jason Kent would get it. People were saying, Marshall the Arch guys even mentioned it. Nine of the last 10 years, Jason Kent would be a most improved. And that's even, that's saying that off the rip. It's remembering that there were obviously incredible guys over that 10 uh, year stretch that would qualify. But Kent's been great. And we recall in the game where Robbie wasn't foul trouble, as you said, definitely did not matter because they had. Uh, Vorst come in, the freshman come in, and it was seamless. And, you know, Wolf played his role just fine. You mentioned they didn't have Aaron Gray at that time. He's been, he had the same situation as Jarrett. But they have those guys, and they'll come in, and it will not matter. They even have uh, Daughtry off the bench, only played eight games. They could, they could put him out there because if Kent doesn't play, and it's the same thing, it's not to the level. Like, Enright is not, you know, the impact of Drake in his, in his own way, but the impact of Kent to Indiana State is incredible to where – you can even be at home. The Drake example, you were on the road, and you should have eked it out in a lot of ways, but because they didn't have an important player. But their backups killed you 
And that's what Indiana State probably will do, even with the lack of bench. You've got to take advantage if Jason Kent is not playing again. A head injury, you know, I think they could be confident enough to say, dude, sit out. It'll be, it might be a close game, but I think we'll end up with it. You know, we're pissed off. So we're going to, we're going to try to win this game for you. It really won't matter to sit this one out. And obviously for the long-term health of you yourself and just knowing again, just how well they hit on these guys and Stolp and Conwell putting themselves in first team and second team conversations. We know what Robbie has done, has not played well lately. And again, it, it just stinks because if you would be able to finish and win these games and X continues to play well, no matter if Robbie's on the top team or not, he with bad games falls off just a tad and it's perfect for you to be the three or the four like you should be. And X should be in the player of the year, like full on conversation. But as soon as you start to fall, it's clearly out the window. So even when Robbie's on his bad days, you can definitely expect him to play well. Miles Foster and Kendall Lewis made it hard on him in the paint. He shot awful in that game. And besides Kinsinger, Kinsinger's heroics, it was the paint play. So it's a huge Scotty and Clarence game, of course, Jarrett game. They were saying they had Voices of the Valley, had Luke and Indiana State play-by-play on there. And Harry was saying, you, know, you got three guys to throw at them. But we know what our paint defense is. We know what those guys are defensively. It's not great, and you're playing the best big in the league. It's just not – it's not ideal one bit. You said the spread. I, I think so, too. It could be, you know, between eight and ten. That's just how good they are. If they take into account if Kent doesn't play, it can maybe fall a little bit. Uh and they're pulling out all the stops. You read everything that they're trying to do for this game. It would be awesome if you, you know, was that consistent home team and you're playing great. How can we be confident against Missouri State and Bradley blowing leads, knowing that if you get up on Indiana State, they are the epitome of the team to, to storm a comeback. But we're not going to get up on them that that much. They're going to be up on us, and it's a matter of if we come back. And they could very well surprise us. I just think Indiana State's just too good. If you put Larry's defense on X, who's fuming X is, honestly, towards the end of this season, if he doesn't play well, clearly I don't think we stand a chance. And even if Kent doesn't play, you have to take advantage. But, no, I'm not sure they will. I think Indiana State covers that spread, whatever it is, and they still get it done. I pray we can somehow win because it's like, well, if you couldn't go one-on-one and have the win be Belmont, if you have the, the one win coming in this game, if that doesn't knock the confidence into you the rest of the way to solidify yourself as top four, I don't know what will, but no, I think we can expect to lose. I'm going to go with just because he's been really good. He needs to, again, maybe get him in foul trouble. Again, I'll go with Clarence for my dog of the game. can go with any single big, your final thoughts, and your dog of the game. Yeah, dog of the game. Um, I'm going to go with Troy. He needs to be more consistent and knock down and take better shots. And obviously, if Kent is out, he has a – should have a better matchup and be able to take care take care of business. And, yeah, I think I'm going to take this to cover. I don't feel good about it, but I think this team has to rally at some point and get get a good crowd in there and try to cover if it's around, like I said, the big number and lose by five or six and try to get something momentum and you keep preaching about wanting to play our best basketball and, the look in your eyes and all that coach spiel he's been spieling. Well, it's time to, it's time to call out these guys and get them to start playing their best basketball. Um, like we're going to see with Indiana state tomorrow night. Yeah. They're just, again, they're unbelievable. I would love for us to cover. I would love for us to win. I just, I don't think this team is playing the way they should. And you got now the best team coming into your building if they're beaten and battered or not. But again, they're mad. Their coach called them out. And you know, again, it's just, it's, it's really hard. 
And, I mean, Noah, we said it earlier, and that stat stands with what Brian is against top and bottom half teams. It's appropriate to do this before we host the best team in the league. What is this crazy record? Yeah, with with Belmont being around, right around us, I I put top twenty, top five teams this year, and there's also we top five and twenty one, twenty two. So we have top fives, but the rest it's top five or top four. Um, and Brian SIU against the top four ish, five ish teams in the league. He's a combined six and thirty five against all other teams. He's forty one and eight. So. Um, this is a guy where he's getting wins against the the bummy teams in the league, but he's six and thirty-five when the best coaches are on the other sidelines and gets ran circles around. And the fact that those other coaches for sure just find ways to beat the teams no matter which way it is, you have chances in all these games in his whole career to do this. But of course you're not able to. I just remember the UNI home win, his first season, and how awesome that was, and that sticks out probably more than more than the others, but uh you know, again, out of out of that many years, you can find the good moments, the bad moments. But if you can't beat the teams you're supposed to, we recall the year two years ago, Cash's season, you were awful against the top half, maybe even winless. I think you split with Bradley that year. I want to say that that's the only game that comes to mind. I think we beat him at home. Other than that, you were you didn't beat anybody else, and then you were almost undefeated against everybody below you. I think you honestly were so. Just tired of those seasons, and that's a wider scope conversation, but it's appropriate, again, against a team that's this great, that's coming in your building, and expect the the bad record to withhold, whether we, whether we cover or not. I dare this team to win. We've had a lot of dares of this, you know, recently, or that I've at least said. And if you go 0-2, again, you rely on tiebreakers in the net. But if you get blown out, your net's falling. You, you get blown out at home. The net's going to fall, and there's other teams right below you that's fighting with you for those for that four spot that's going to maybe surpass you. There's some teams that aren't too far off, so that net won't even matter at the end if you can't take care of this. We talked about our schedule by the end of the season is really tough. It'd be hard, honestly, to, to have this team finish fourth. I really can't believe they still have a higher percentage than all the others. But, again, other teams have tough games, too. Every game is tough in this league, of course. It's just a matter of – you know, be good at home. It should be a packed crowd. Take care of business. That's all we ask of this team is to just play consistent and find a way to win. If you do it, your season's flip just like that. If you lose, it just continues the rough road ahead for what is to come more than likely. So let's hope everybody shows up. If not, yeah, some good broadcast options. If you don't show up, we know we just got some snow this evening. So uh, everybody show up and show out. Meet Jeremy Chen and Ryan Neal, and hopefully the dogs come out with a win. Again, I dare them to prove us wrong and win this game. Not likely, though. So, for Nick Malone. No alerts. As always, as you guys always know, go dogs.